comes from Romans chapter 14. Verses 13 through 23. Hear the word of God. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother or sister. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. But what you eat, by what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father God, we pray that you be present with us in the proclamation of your word. We thank you for um, having inspired that word and having preserved it for us through all of these centuries. And we ask this morning that you would allow that word to speak to us uh, in our circumstances. And we... I pray this in Jesus' name. Um, those of you parents who feel nervous because your young, squirmy children are with you, I want to assure you I am delighted that your young, squirmy children are here. Uh, and I like to hear them. And so when they're talking, that's fine too. Okay? Um, it's something that Presbyterians are a little unsure about whether they're not, whether they're allowed to talk back to the preacher. We will not revoke your Presbyterian membership card if you talk back to the preacher. And the same goes for your kids. Okay. So for me, it's very encouraging, uh, hearing, uh, hearing your child. Okay. Even your teenager. All right. All right. Uh, so last week, um, in our continuing series of sermons through the book of Romans. By the way, the end is in sight. I don't know if you realize that, okay? It's been only 18 months we've been working through this book, uh, but but the end is in sight. Uh, after Easter, we'll preach a couple more weeks, and and then we'll, we're heading to the Old Testament. I haven't decided uh, what Old Testament book I'm preaching yet. If you've got one in particular that is not the Song of Solomon, I'm, I'd be happy to hear your recommendation. So uh, last week we heard the Apostle Paul admonishing the church in Rome because they were quarreling about what he calls mere opinions. 
he was, uh, he admonishes them because there are members in this church who are despising each other and judging each other over, uh, issues that were not essential to the Christian faith. Now there are core beliefs and there are essential doctrines that Christians must quarrel about and judge regarding. For example, the divinity of Jesus, the virgin birth, the atoning sacrifice, the bodily resurrection. On these things, the church cannot and must not budge. And on these things, the church needs to be willing to fight. Because those core doctrines are precisely what gives unity to the church. But outside of that core, There are lots of things that Christians believe and do that they can have different opinions about. And regarding these things, these non-essential things, these non-core things, Christians need to give each other space and leeway and they need to stop making a fuss. Because of all of this fuss, all of this quarreling and contempt and judgment that Paul talks about, uh, all of that fuss is something that pulls at the unity of the church and destroys the unity of the church. Now, the hot issue in Paul's day was um, whether or not they could eat meat. And he writes about this in, in Romans chapter 14. He also writes about it in greater length in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Can Christians eat meat? Are they allowed to eat meat that's been sacrificed to an idol, which, would, which is what you would have found in the marketplace uh, in Rome? In 1 Corinthians, Paul says it's okay to eat the meat. And in Romans, Paul says, in fact, the vegetarians, the ones who have this religious scruple, they are the ones who are weaker in their faith. But he tells both of these groups, both the meat eaters and the vegetarians, to stop quarreling and passing judgment on each other over this issue because it's not a core issue, because it's not essential to the faith. And he says that we as Christians should welcome one another and not put stumbling blocks or hindrances in each other's way. Now, for us as Reformed Christians living in the 21st century, food is not an issue that we quarrel about. But we do find other issues to make a fuss about, other things to pass judgment about, some of which are inessential to the doctrine, inessential to the faith, um, and that's what we need to talk about this morning. So Paul offers this general principle... And the general principle remains the same, even if we're not concerned about food anymore. We must maintain unity in the church on the essential doctrines of the faith. But regarding everything else, we need to give each other liberty. We need to give each other leeway. So there are two big ideas in today's passage from Romans that I want to lift up. There are actually more than two ideas in this passage, but I I want to talk about Uh, Just two ideas this morning. The first big idea is this. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. That's Romans 14.20. Now, we don't care about the food issue, so we can replace that phrase, for the sake of food, with anything that's not essential to the faith, but that we end up fighting about in churches Anyway, I bet you can think about one or two of those things that we would fight about. So that's the first big idea. Do not, for the sake of food or for the sake of anything inessential, destroy the work of God. And the second idea is, but rather decide 
to never put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother or sister. That's Romans 14, 13. Decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother or sister. All of this quarreling and all of these judgments over non-essential matters are stumbling blocks to brothers and sisters in the faith. They're hindrances to life in the church. Because when we fight about this unimportant stuff, our hearts become hard to one another and we are less effective in our work together. I think the most important word in this sentence that Paul offers is the word decide. Decide never to put a stumbling block in the way of a brother. We can decide to do that. And I hope that we do that before this day is over. So the first big idea I want to talk about, we'll unpack this a little bit and then we'll turn to the second big idea. Do not for the sake of food... Destroy the work of God. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. When Paul says the work of God in this verse, he does not mean the work done by God, because that kind of work is impossible to destroy. What Paul means in this case is the work that's done for God, or the work that belongs to God, or the work that is done in God's name. Do not, for the sake of Food destroy the work of God. Well, who does that work? Well, we do. That's the church's work. The work of the church is divine work. The work of the church is the work of God. Our work is work for God. Our work is work that belongs to God. And our work is work that's done in the name of God. And Paul says, do not for the sake of food, do not for the sake of any inessential thing, destroy that work. Destroy the work of the church. In other words, don't let this quarreling and judging about meat and drink ruin all of the church's good work, all of the work that has been done for God and in the name of God. Don't destroy that. Now the church has two kinds of work that it does. Two distinct kinds of work. First, the church seeks out those who are lost. The church is always going into the highways and the hedges and inviting people to the banquet that Jesus has prepared. You recall that image from one of Jesus' parables. Jesus says, this is Luke chapter 14. So the master told his servant, go to the highways and the hedges and compel the people to come in so that my house will be full. This is Jesus' image of what the church is going to be. The church is a banquet hall packed with celebrating people who suddenly and surprisingly have been gathered in from the highways and the hedges. And that means that these guests at the master's banquet table are going to be dusty and sweaty from travel and work. That means that these guests at the master's banquet table are wearing everyday togs and not party finery. They didn't know they were going to be invited that day. That means these guests at the master's banquet table are not the social elite. Because those people were already invited earlier, Jesus tells us, and they declined. And that means that these guests at the master's banquet table will be the common people and the downtrodden. And that means that if I enter a building filled with people who are all neat and clean, 
filled with people who are wearing their finest, filled with people who are accustomed to ruling and reigning in this world, then I know that I'm not in a church. Because the church is an ingathering of people who had been lost, but now surprisingly and suddenly are found. The primary work of the church is to go into the highways and the hedges of life and invite people in to the banquet that Jesus has prepared. Lost people, tired people, dusty people. We can evaluate the vibrancy and the liveliness of our church by counting how many unconverted but curious people are here on a Sunday morning. By counting how many recent converts are here on a Sunday morning. By counting how many people with stunned and bewildered looks on their faces are here on a Sunday morning. If our pews are full of contented and perfectly quaffed people, then you know we're doing a terrible job of evangelism. Jesus, the great physician, said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous... But sinners, which is why in this church we declare ourselves to be a fellowship of sinners rather than an ingathering of saints. So if our pews don't look like a hospital waiting room, then you know we're doing a terrible job at evangelism. The church has two kinds of work. First, the church actively seeks those who are lost. And then the second thing that the church does is nurtures and protects the sheep who have been gathered inside of the fold. That's another image that we have of the church, the sheepfold filled with the sheep and Jesus as our shepherd. In this biblical image of the church, the good shepherd seeks and finds lost sheep and brings them to the safety of the flock. In the daytime... The good shepherd leads the flock to green pastures and to safe water. At nighttime, the good shepherd leads the sheep into the fold where they're protected by a wall from wild animals and thieves. In this image of the church, the church is a place of nurture and protection and safety. So the church does two kinds of work. First, the church seeks the lost. And second, the church protects and nurtures those who have been found. And those two jobs must be held together. Those two jobs must go together because it would be insane to seek the lost and then to not protect them and nurture them once they're in the fold. Which is exactly what Paul, in fact, is talking about in this verse where he says, Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Bringing people into the fold is the work of God. Bringing people into the fold is the church's number one job. But once they're in, we have to nurture them and protect them. And all of this fighting about food and non-essentials is destroying and undoing the work of the evangelism. Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Judging and fighting and despising one another in the Roman church was undoing the good work. The God work of evangelism. What good is evangelism if once you get people into the church you just beat them up and drive them out anyway? What good is evangelism if you don't nurture and protect the people who've come to faith? 
Think of it this way. Imagine spending a fortune to acquire something valuable, but then not protecting the valuable thing once you have it. Leonardo da Vinci's painting, Salvatore Mundi, fetched $450 million at auction less than two years ago. It's the highest price ever paid for a painting. It's a painting of Jesus. The, the name of it means Savior of the World. It was bought by a Muslim, a Muslim prince from Abu Dhabi. And it was supposed to be unveiled last September at the Louvre Abu Dhabi Museum, but that unveiling mysteriously was canceled and no one knows where the painting is now. And this year, reports are coming out that the painting is lost or maybe that it's been destroyed. Imagine spending a fortune to acquire something valuable and then not protecting the valuable object once you have it. That's a good metaphor for what's going on in our reading this morning. Paul is terribly concerned about the condition in the church which is threatening the well-being of the members of the church. Paul has literally put his life at risk to bring people into the church. It's not so long after he writes this letter that he will be executed for being an evangelist, but he looks at the church in Rome and he sees all of this quarreling and judging that's causing people to leave the church or to be sick while they're in the church, and he's not happy. He's not happy because the fight over non-essentials is destroying the work of God. And if maybe you think that the church in Rome was different from other churches, if maybe you think that the church in Rome had special problems, let me tell you a little story about this church. A number of years ago, a woman from the neighborhood joined this church. And her husband, a devout Roman Catholic did not join, but regularly attended with his wife. They were happy. They were content. They were involved in the life of the church. I often met with her husband outside of church. And then one Sunday, her husband wore a shirt with the name of the school that he had graduated from on. A fine Catholic school. A school that he was rightly proud of. And a member of this church looked at that shirt and said to him, I guess you came to the wrong church this morning. Well, we've never seen them again. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. I don't know what the antonym of evangelism is, but that's what I saw that Sunday morning here, the opposite of evangelism. I saw church people chasing other people out of the church, and please don't think that that story is unique. Why do we do that? Why do church people do these kinds of things? Because they're not like us? Because they come from a different tribe? Because they do things differently than we're used to? Because they're sitting in my pew? Because they're trying to do the job that I've always done around here? There are lots of ways that church-going people drive other people away from the church. And all the while they're saying to themselves, Oh, I wish there were more people in the church the way it used to be. We should tremble with divine, with fear of divine retribution. If we ever drive a single person away, may such a sin never be counted against us. 
That someone turned from Christ because of our words or our, our attitudes or our actions. May God preserve us from such a sin. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record the fearful words of Jesus' warning against Christians causing someone to stumble or to lose their faith. Jesus says, if anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them if a large millstone were hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. In other words, A fate worse than death awaits the person who causes someone to stumble in their faith. Now maybe Jesus was using hyperbole when he said that. But maybe not, and I don't want to find out. So the first big idea in our reading from Romans this morning is this. Do not, for the sake of food or any other inessential thing, destroy the work of God. Let's not do things that unravel and destroy the good work of the church. Let's not undo what God has done. And the second big idea is this. But rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother or a sister. We the church need to think seriously and intentionally about how we treat people Because our actions can be a stumbling block. We, the church, need to think seriously and intentionally how about how we talk to people. Because what we say can be a hindrance. In Ephesians, Paul offers some helpful instruction about how Christians should speak to people. This is Ephesians 4.29. He writes, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths but only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Everything that comes out of my mouth should only be said for the benefit of the person who's listening to what I say. What if every time I spoke, I first paused and thought to myself, will what I'm about to say Be helpful to this person? And how could I say it best that it would bring them the most benefit? So often we just shoot off our mouths and say what pleases us. But imagine if we were to actually pause and think to ourselves, am I saying this because it's going to help the person listening? Or am I saying this because I want to get this off my chest? Paul charges the church, decide never to put a stumbling block in the way of a brother. It's a decision we can make. We can decide to be the kinds of Christians who do not drive people away with selfish attitudes or thoughtless words. We can decide to do that. We can choose to be that kind of church. And when we choose to be that kind of church, then we will stop undoing and destroying God's work of evangelism. Let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. Do not, for the sake of food or any unimportant thing, destroy or undo the work of God. We as the church have two jobs. One is to invite people to the great banquet feast of the king and to nurture and protect those who have come. This morning, as we gather around the Lord's table, 
We have a foretaste of the great banquet that we have been invited to. And I pray that as each one of us comes to the table this morning, as we come to this symbol of our unity in our faith, our unity in Christ, I pray that as we come that we would intentionally commit, that we would purposefully decide to never put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother or sister. And to God be the glory. Amen. Let us pray. Father God, we pray that you would mm, that you would seal to our hearts what it is that you would have us know. Um, we pray that uh, the words of Scripture would be uh, living and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword. And we pray, Lord, that we would be the kind of people that you want us to be and the kind of church that you've called us to be. Lord, I pray that we would be a church that is out there in the highways and the hedges, drawing people to Christ. I pray that we'd be the kind of church that welcomes and nurtures and protects and cares for and feeds and waters all of those sheep that you've brought home. We pray all of these things for your glory. Amen.